You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hi, everyone. I'm TJ Winnick. And I'm Maddie Claire, and this is And Then Some. We are very pleased to have as our guest today, Zenib Curran. Zenib Curran has spent 10 plus years as the Vice President of Corporate Communications for the Boston Red Sox, and recently was promoted to Chief Communications Officer for Fenway Sports Group and the Boston Red Sox, a well-deserved recognition of her accomplishments leading all proactive public relations strategy and communication for the club's business, marketing, and philanthropic outreach, including the charitable efforts of the Red Sox Foundation. Prior to joining the Red Sox, Zenib helped manage proactive public relations strategy for Fidelity Investments. She also served as senior media relations specialist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and began her career as a writer and a producer for WCVB-TV, the ABC affiliate here in Boston. Zenib, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this discussion. Terrific. Well, we'd like to start off the discussion with uh, a little bit of your background, because sports and sports communication has traditionally been a male-dominated profession. So Maddie and I would like to know, do you have any advice for other women who, who may be looking to follow in your footsteps? Maybe they are fresh out of uh, college. Perhaps they're looking to make a career change. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I guess what I would say to other women is, is just to consider sports an actual viable option for a career, because I know I certainly didn't. Um, I am originally from Casablanca, Morocco, which um, doesn't have baseball as one of the options for sports. And growing up, you know, I certainly was uh, engaged in sports. I loved attending sporting events, but it wasn't necessarily something that was top of mind for, for me in terms of a career aspiration. Um, and I guess the reason for that was mainly because I didn't understand the full menu of options for career opportunities at a sports team. Um, you know, you look at a place like the Boston Red Sox, for example, and I think of, you know, a general manager. I think of all the people in baseball operations, the analysts, the scouts, et cetera. And I don't think about, well, you know, sports teams need accountants and they need lawyers and they need PR professionals and they need a whole slew of uh, careers uh, that are uh, available to people that I, I just didn't even really think of. And so um, I was sort of recruited into the organization. Um, I was sort of happily going about my business, working in uh, financial services and doing corporate communications for them. And um, I was one day reached out to via LinkedIn and Facebook um, about an opportunity for the Boston Red Sox. And I think initially I thought that it was some sort of email scam that they were going to ask me for my social security number next and my home address. Um, but it turned out to be a real opportunity. And I am so grateful for it because over the past 10 years that I've been with the organization, there have been moments that you cannot experience in any other industry. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, being on the field at Fenway Park after the 2013 World Series win and at Dodger Stadium on the field after our 2018 World Series ring. And you're there for those moments, which are such high highs in sports that you, you really cannot compare it to anything else. Um, and then I guess the other thing I'd say is that 
it's a relatively small group of people in our front office compared to a 40 plus thousand organization at, at other industries and other places. And, you know, there's a camaraderie there and that sportsmanship, that team um, spirit that you see in our clubhouse with our players, you know, you really do see it in our front office as well. Um, and that was really special. It was when I first came into the organization, it was a very casual environment. Um, and people had worked together for, you know, two plus decades in some cases, and that you don't find that everywhere. And so it's really sort of this really special community um, that I've been privileged to be a part of. And, and can I ask, did you grow up in the Boston area or did you get here through uh, schooling? It was through school. So I, I do not have sort of a direct path to Boston. Um, I was born in Casablanca, Morocco. My parents are from there. My whole family lives there now today. Um, I ended up moving to the US when I was two years old with my parents. Um, my dad worked for the Moroccan airline company, Royal Air Morocco, and so we moved around a lot. And so we spent 10 years in New York um, where he worked at JFK Airport. And then we moved to Paris. So I had the opportunity to live in Paris for four years. And then we went back to Morocco where I spent my last two years of high school uh, before coming to Boston for college. And like so many other people who come through Boston, um, you sort of do your pilgrimage at Fenway Park as a freshman, right? So I came here, you know, already liking baseball um, just based on growing up in New York and also um, having played softball uh, in middle school and high school. And so, uh, as a freshman, you know, you get the ticket opportunity through your university, and I ended up sitting in the bleachers on the rainy, rainy April for this miserable game um, that was cold, and um, I got to be there and experience it with my friend, and despite the rain and the unpleasantness, it was, it was really a remarkable experience, and so that became my hometown team, uh, despite being from another country and another city entirely. Um, it, it was it was a really special introduction to the Red Sox and one that I think a lot of other students and, um, you know, grad students as well coming through the Boston area experience just like I did. I've heard plenty of Red Sox fans complain that there are too many college students from New York there, but never too many college students from Morocco. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. I, yeah. I think I was one of the unique ones. That's sure, That's for sure. I love it. And I love, first of all, how you've had this kind of meandering path to Boston. And then, you know, this all kind of culminated with a LinkedIn message because you have had, you know, such a time with, with the Red Sox and the Fenway Sports Group. You've been there for over 10 years. And, and, you know, I can only imagine that during that time, there has been such an evolution in your job and in the communications landscape, particularly in the world of sports. So I'm sure you have many stories of kind of the changing communications and how you do that, at, you know, in your day to day. But can you discuss kind of what you believe has changed the most during this time and how you've embraced these changes in your work with the Red Sox and with Fenway Sports Group? Yeah, definitely. I think when I came into the industry 10 years ago, it was much different than it is today. Um, there's definitely been a shift in the type of requests that we're fielding um, from a media relations or public relations standpoint. Um, I think now more than ever, teams, players, front offices are being asked to engage in social issues from topics related to race, diversity, inclusion, to politics, that 10, 15 years ago, really that wasn't something that would be asked of a player or an organization in, in our industry. Um, so we're, we're seeing the media increasingly look for opinions from us. 
Um, so I think that in addition to being prepared for the performance questions, um, our company, our organization, as well as our players need to really be able to field a whole slew of questions on things that have nothing to do with sports. But ultimately, sports are a microcosm of our society. So these questions that are being asked that are happening maybe in another city or on a scale nationally are really also happening in our clubhouse on some, some way, shape, or form and in our front office. And so um, it's sort of natural to see those questions being posed. Um, and I also think it's a good thing. I think it's a sign that there's more scrutiny on all industries um, to be really engaged in meaningful ways with their communities um, on issues that are important, right? Not just in the local market, but also issues that are important across the country. So there's def definitely been an evolution um, since my entry into sports uh, versus today, but I, th I think it's a healthy one and I think it's a good one. Of course, we're seeing organizations across sectors lean into these issues of social justice and impact. Uh, and of course, there are potential issues and crises uh, that can arise uh, out of this uh, sort of new environment that we're in. Um, and sports is unique unto itself in many ways. And I'm thinking particularly of the 2017 incident uh, at Fenway Park, where uh, Orioles player Adam Jones um, was met with uh, some racial slurs. Uh, can you walk us through how the Sox and Fenway Sports Group reacted um, to such a, a volatile situation? Absolutely. Um, I was one of the people who sort of lived through this experience with a number of other people in our leadership team. And it was such an unfortunate incident. And at the time, um, I remember our, our CEO, well, I'll, I'll give you sort of the timeline of, of what happened. So um, after the game, during his media availability, um, Adam Jones, who's an outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles at the time, um, told a USA Today reporter, Bob Nightingale, that he uh, heard a racial slur from a fan in the outfield. Um, and so that was reported, I think the story went online sometime after midnight. Um, so our media relations team got the call saying, hey, this story is up, what should we do about it? The next morning, starting at 7 a.m., we had our senior leadership team on a call, followed by an in-person meeting, drafting statements, uh, making sure we were connecting with the player, getting his information so that we could talk to him directly. Um, and it really all happened and evolved over the span of a few hours. And so we put out a straight statement as an organization, apologizing not just to Adam Jones, but also to the Baltimore Orioles um, organization as well, because we feel a responsibility for everything that happens in our venue, right? So we, while we can't control individual actions of, of people who are there, um, we like to think that we have a code of conduct that people follow. And so we saw this as, as sort of a failure on our part um, to have the atmosphere that we are looking for at Fenway Park. And so there was an apology issued um, on behalf of the organization. Um, our ownership group, John Henry and our CEO, Sam Kennedy, both met with Adam Jones in, his, um, in the clubhouse uh, before the game and gave him a personal apology. Um, and then from that, you know, that could have been the end of it, right? We could have said, okay, we've apologized, we've done everything we could publicly, um, but I think we took it a step further. And to me, that's what really set us apart or 
made us feel like we were doing something a little more. And um, what ended up happening is we really took a look at a lot of our systems that we had in place. We looked at our code of conduct. We en ended up adding hate speech into our code of conduct. We changed how many times we were kind of showing our code of conduct to fans to reinforce that message over and over again. Um, we also ended up putting together um, a coalition with all of the Boston uh, professional sports teams with the Celtics, the Bruins, uh, the Patriots to create something called Take the Lead. Um, and we created a series of PSAs with professional athletes talking about how hate speech is unwelcome in our venues. Um, and it was a really powerful message that we all sort of united as a sports um, and a sports group uh, in the New England area to come together on this message. Um, and we all sort of took a stand to eradicate hate speech in our venues. We sort of all took that pledge. And then in addition to that, the program really evolved over the, the past few years from you know, this, this PSA and an event that we hosted to talk about issues related to race. Um, and from it, we created a fellowship program um, and also a job fair for specifically for people of color who are interested in entering into the sports industry. Um, and we thought this was really important just to create pipelines um, to get talent into our organization and make sure that there was change from within. And so those were some powerful things that happened um, that really took a really horrible incident that occurred and tried to make something um, somewhat positive come out of it. Yeah, and I would just say, you know, I loved what you said about the atmosphere of Fenway Park. And I think that's something that everyone from the Boston area or who was a transplant from elsewhere can really feel when they go there. And I think that that's, you know, such a great way that you spun that into being a leader for all of the different, you know, sports groups across Massachusetts, but then also kind of, you know, across the country, I'm sure there are so many different organizations looking to you and to Fenway Sports Group for what you did in the situation and how they could do the same thing in their own to, you know, change, change the narrative and to bring in, you know, more diversity to their groups. So I think that's great. And I, you know, I do think that Fenway Sports Group, you know, this and other, you know, incidences have really, you know, been able to make an incredible name for itself over the past few years beyond just the Red Sox. And so I'm wondering kind of, you know, how does an ownership group's communications plan differ than just the teams that they own? And kind of as you step into this, you know, this new role, where do you think the biggest opportunities for Fenway sports groups are in the communications arena in this year and into the future? Yeah, well, I think when you look at Fenway sports group, it, it started off as a group of like-minded investors who were looking to break an age-old baseball curse, right? That was the motivation and the mission initially set forth by John Henry, Tom Werner, Larry Lucchino at the time, Mike Gordon, our CEO, Sam Kennedy. And, you know, with the purchase of the Red Sox also came not just Fenway Park, but also Nesson, our, our regional sports network. Um, and so it was much more than just a baseball team from the beginning. It was a baseball team plus this, this media entity as well. And so from the start, we were never just a baseball team. And I think also from the start, our ownership group always saw it as an opportunity to do something so much bigger. And over the past two decades, they really have accomplished that long-term vision. And right now in 2022, they're looking to do even more. Um, and over the years, you've seen them add to their portfolio in a very slow and deliberate way over the first uh, several years. They started by creating 
Fenway Sports Management, which was a sports marketing arm for the Red Sox um, that did sponsorship sales, that also does some consulting work for other organizations as well. Um, and then a few years later, the opportunity to purchase Liverpool Football Club in 2010 presented itself. Um, and they have sort of added to this portfolio slowly and deliberately. And just this past year, at the end of 2021, uh, we finalized the purchase of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So now we're a baseball team, a Premier League football team, uh, a ho professional hockey team, uh, and a baseball team. We're, we're all of these things, plus a media entity. We also have a real estate portfolio that's pretty hefty. And um, it's more than just one thing. It is so many things today. Um, and they're looking to continue to grow. Um, and with that comes uh, some sort of added communications complications that you need to sort through, right? Um, so whereas before, I think the strategy was really to let each individual team or entity kind of speak for itself, all of these, um, all of these teams and portfolios have their own lead, you know, dedicated leadership teams um, that have their own dedicated PR professionals and media teams and communications. Um, that they do. But I think now that we are in this situation where we've kind of grown into this conglomerate, um, there is more of a need for the parent company to have a voice and to speak and to have messaging about what we stand for and who we are. Um, and prior, I think, to a couple of years ago, um, the parent company really didn't have a voice. And so what we've done over the past few years is really create that for Fenway Sports Group. And, you know, the messaging has always been there. Our ownership group are, are incredibly smart people. And from the beginning, they set forth uh, a number of, of philosophies that were their guiding principles for how they were going to operate their businesses. Um, and that's really held through over the past 20 years. And so, um, you know, they, they've always been guided by the desire to win championships across the board at all of their companies to be active and engaged members of the communities in which they operate and to protect and enhance the venues that they own. Um, and also to help grow the game of baseball, English football, and now hockey. And so, you know, if you keep those three principles in front of you, um, they're going to serve you well. They've certainly served our ownership group incredibly well over the past 20 years. And uh, now we're just bringing a little more of a voice to that um, from the parent company. And, and we've worked on a number of different ways to do that over the past few years. Mm. It's definitely turning into a uh, global brand if it, if it hasn't already. Um, I'm curious what other markets the Fenway Sports Group either here uh, domestically or overseas, uh, they might hide their eyes on. Yeah, Anything? well, one of one of the great things about our ownership group is is that they they consider every opportunity, right? Um, and so nothing is off the table, both in within the United States or internationally. We are a global brand now, especially with Liverpool Football Club. That's a global um, that's a global team, and so. You know, I think right now the focus after the Pittsburgh Pen Penguins acquisition is, is really to look um, to expand our por portfolio in North America. Um, and they're going to look at a variety of opportunities over the next several years. I think for the time being, they're really focused on 
integrating the Pittsburgh Penguins into Fenway Sports Group. And that obviously will take a little bit of time. Um, but moving forward, you know, they haven't been shy about communicating their desire to grow and continue to acquire more sports teams and enter entertainment venues and, um, and media companies. And so they're looking at a variety of ways to do that. And I guess uh, nothing's ever off the table. What do you think, Maddie? My money's on Canadian football. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to trust Zena on this one. I think she knows best. All right. Uh, so, Zena, our final question has to do with the Fenway Sports Group being so high profile. And this is a PR question about maintaining confidentiality leading up to a major announcement. And I'm wondering, because we have worked with reporters, obviously, on uh, embargoes and, you know, which is feeding uh, a reporter, a story early, and then agreeing upon the time and date uh, in which it will be posted or printed. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can speak to some of the challenges of leading up to a big announcement, such as leaks and other issues that you've had to overcome uh, in the past couple of years. Yeah, so I guess the first thing I'll say is that it is nearly impossible to keep anything a secret in sports, right? Just from the outset, that is our reality. I think uh, there are just too many interested parties. There are too many members of the media scrutinizing every move we make. Um, and so I think today for the Red Sox and for FSG, um, we really build in to our media strategy, the fact that leaks will happen, right? We just consider that an inevitable circumstance for us. And so we don't go into things um, expecting anything to hold because for you know 80 to 90% of the time they don't, um, we don't have absolute control over those timelines. And so I think we have to be really careful. We can only hold things for so long. Um, and even when you start to tell reporters, okay, can, we'll give you an exclusive if you can just keep this under wraps for two more days until we get to this point. You get to the point where you're bartering for things and it, it gets a little bit untenable, right? You're promising this person and then 20 minutes later, someone else has it. And so for us, I think the approach for a lot of announcements has been, this is going to leak. We know for a certainty it will. How much time do we think we can buy ourselves? And um, how do we build that leak into the media strategy? And I think for us, we're more shocked when news doesn't leak than when it does. So um, that's just our reality and we've sort of accepted it and we prepare for it. Um, and preparing for it makes it a little less harried when you do encounter that because um, in my experience over the past 10 years, it's been there, there have been a limited number of announcements where we've been able to keep things under wraps, especially when you start talking about things like acquiring teams, when bankers are involved and other organizations are involved. And um, it can, you know, on any given announcement, it can be anybody from a banker to like a ticket taker who happens to see someone come in and out of the building that or a security member that ends up turning into a story. And so, you know, we, we try to control what we can control. Um, but I think for us, we go into every announcement knowing it will leak. I think if there's anything we've learned over the last 30 minutes speaking with you is that you have to be nimble and you have a lot on your plate at any given time. And, you know, your job can go from one day handling a leak with an international acquisition of a sports team to the next day dealing with a real estate crisis to the next day dealing with a, you know, um, 
international news story as it relates to something happening at the park. And so, you know, we're always impressed by the work that you do. And we thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you on. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners before we, we go for the day? Well, it's, it's been wonderful having the conversation with you, Maddie, and you, TJ. So thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I guess uh, the only thing I, I'll sort of leave everybody with is that um, we have a really amazing uh, sports ecosystem in the New England area. And I think it's somewhat incomparable to anything else you see out there. Um, and so what we have and, and also what, what our ownership group has built is, is really quite special and sort of unique in the sports industry. Um, there aren't many media sports conglomerates like it. And the fact that they're only looking to grow and build uh, and ex continue to expand on that portfolio is really impressive. And so um, I would just end by saying I, I admire all the people I work with and the fact that we have to continue to be nimble and address a variety of different issues um, that keep coming at us is what's made this job so fun and exciting and different. Um, and it's kept it fresh uh, for the past 10 years. So it's, it's a really exciting industry to work in. Great. Thank you so much. And, and to all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of And Then Some. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations like this one. And if you've enjoyed this conversation in previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media, Solomon McCown Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCown on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We'll talk to you soon.